Welcome and bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing The Tap Dance Kid. I ain't got a shiny black car, ain't got a bundle of bright green money, clothes on my back, off the rack, but no what, so what, I don't care, cause you know what I've got, I've got fabulous feet, I love my fabulous feet, oh I am filled with emotion, it's time they're in motion, or when they're just keeping the beat, fabulous feet, sit back, relax, cause you're in for a treat, We'll entertain and amuse you So let me introduce you To me and my fabulous feet Oh, you can keep your money Keep your car Keep your fancy clothes Cause I've got One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight Nineteen talented toes On the end of my fabulous feet We're strut down But first, how are we doing? I hope this episode finds you well. I want to cover a few topics here in the opening segment. First and foremost, I have a correction. I accidentally cited the recording of the band's visit as the 2018 original Broadway cast when I should have said 2017. I always like to cite the recording based on when the production actually opened on Broadway. I believe that Certain sites like castalbums.org, maybe they operate on a different set of rules, but I operate on my own set of rules, okay? And as such, I felt the need to correct myself in this instance. I have to follow my own rules. I can't go breaking my own rules. So my bad, I apologize for my mistake. Ooh, I've been a bad, bad boy. And I also want to take a moment to acknowledge Patty and Benny in the wake of their respective birthdays. We celebrated their respective birthdays, but I just want to consider them as a pair, and I just want to say all over again how much I appreciate their dedication, their support. You know, this is in some ways a one-person show, a one-man band, if you will, but I don't know where I would be without their consistent support. So thank you very much, Patty and Benny. I hope that I can be a source of support for you. I hope that you know that you can lean on me lean on me. I almost started singing, but then I didn't. I hope you know that you can lean on me as well. Patty and Benny are, they are nodding in their respective uh, Zoom windows and they are giving me a little salute. (laughs) I don't know why. That's so strange that both of you had the idea to give me a little salute. Uh, Is that something we've been, Never mind. (laughs) I don't even know how to begin to unpack that. Let us now dive into Sploosh, the show facts regarding the Tap Dance Kid. Show me the show facts. Okay. The Tap Dance Kid was a 1984 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on December 21st, 1983 at the Broadhurst Theater before transferring to the Minskoff Theater in March 1984. The show ultimately ran for a total of 669 performances. The book of the musical was written by Charles Blackwell. It was based on Louise Fitzhugh's 1974 novel, Nobody's Family is Going to Change. Fitzhugh is also known as the author of Harriet the Spy and its sequel, The Long Secret. This is Charles Blackwell's only writing credit on Broadway. He was primarily known as a dancer before becoming a production stage manager, though he also directed the Broadway play The Poison Tree in 1976. From what I can tell, Black Blackwell is the only black artist to have worked on the production side of the Tap Dance Kid. The music was written by Henry Krieger of Dreamgirls and Sideshow fame. The lyrics were written by Robert Lorick. The director of the production, Vivian Matalon. Musical director, Don Jones. Choreographer, well, we have a musical staging and dances by credit, and that credit belongs to Danny Daniels. Scenic design, Michael Hotop and Paul DePass. Lighting design, Richard Nelson. Sound design, Jack 
Batman, and costume design William Ivy Long. Let's take a look at this original Broadway cast. The cast included Hinton Battle of the Wiz, Dreamgirls, and Miss Saigon fame, hello, Hattie Winston, Samuel E. Wright of Jesus Christ Superstar and the Lion King fame, hello Samuel, Martine Allard, Jackie Lowe, Barbara Montgomery, Alfonso Ribeiro of Silver Spoons, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and In the House fame, and rounding out this cast we have Alan Weeks, Michael Blevins, and Karen Pascal. Let's talk Tony nods, why not? Okay, so this production won Best Featured Actor in a Musical, Hint in Battle, and Best Choreography, Danny Daniels. It was additionally nominated for the following Tony Awards, Best Musical, of course, but also Best Book of a Musical, Charles Blackwell, Best Featured Actor in a Musical, Samuel E. Wright, Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Martine Allard, and Best Direction of a Musical, Vivian Matalon. So, seven nominations in total, two awards at the end of the evening. When it comes to the plot of this week's subject, I will be reading the plot summary from the original Broadway cast album. I actually transcribed this from the album's liner notes. It's true, so I'm going to be relying on another source. I'm just going to be reading to you this week, but I figured I would give myself a break. I didn't necessarily feel the need to summarize this when it was right there in front of me, and I should note, there is no detailed summary for this show online at this point, so this is actually a very good resource. It's a very good resource, and that is why I am reading it to you. I'm trying to justify my... <laughs> my my wanting to take a break for once when it comes to the goddamn plot summary. So let's do this. Act 1. Roosevelt Island is a tram ride away from Manhattan. William Sheridan, a successful attorney, lives there with his wife Jenny and their two children. 14-year-old Emma, outspoken and overweight and longing desperately to become a lawyer, and 10-year-old Willie, who, contrary to his father's wishes, thinks of nothing but dancing. The musical opens on a typical morning with Jenny preparing breakfast. Later that day, Emma returns home from school in a characteristic snit. Jenny's brother, Dipsy Bates, arrives for a visit, and soon the kids are urging him to tell about the days when Jenny, Dipsy, and their late father, Daddy Bates, performed as a trio. The number ends as William returns home from work. Finding his study in disarray, he coolly greets Dipsy, for whom he has little use. Quote, 33 years old, and he's a dancer, for heaven's sake. Quote, Dipsy exits, leaving William to examine the children's report cards. He pays scant attention to Emma's exceptional grades, but is so disappointed by Willie's poor grades that he grounds the boy. Quote, no dancing. Quote, three weeks later, Willie is frustrated because he has not been able to dance. Quote, I don't want to be no lawyer. Quote, he tries to talk to his sister, but Emma has her own problems. Willie later expresses his true feelings and, in a daring move, ventures alone to Manhattan via tram to find his Uncle Dipsy. Dipsy is rehearsing his dancers for an industrial show for a convention of shoe buyers. Coincidentally, the number has been designed to showcase Dipsy's dancing and choreographic talents, with which he hopes to impress the producers of an out-of-town Broadway tryout. Willie arrives during the rehearsal and is un uncontrollably drawn into the number, dancing along with his uncle. Excited by his nephew's potential, Dipsy rushes the boy home to tell his parents the good news. Dipsy's assistant, Carol, is left to continue the rehearsal. As she puts the dancers through their paces, she reflects privately on her feelings for Dipsy. Dipsy arrives on Roosevelt Island and breathlessly tells Jenny and William of their son's dancing ability. William cuts him short, furious because Willie has disobeyed, and especially because he has risked the danger of going to New York City by himself. Seizing control of his family once again, William forbids Willie to see his uncle anymore. Willie runs out on the terrace, followed by Dipsy, who tells the boy that for a while, he'll have to dance inside himself. The act one curtain falls on Willie, heartbroken, being comforted by his uncle. All right, act two, let's do it. Another breakfast. Willie hasn't danced for some time now. Quote, he's too quiet. He looks gray, quote. An argument ensues at the table, and William storms out. Emma accuses her mother of not asserting herself and not caring enough about her children. Jenny accuses Emma of being exactly like her father. Dipsy and Carol, now living together, wait in Dipsy's loft for word about the out-of-town tryout in Buffalo. Dipsy has just about given up hope when the phone rings. Now, I should say that the plot summary... <laughs> 
I don't know why they choose to not spoil this for the reader, but he gets the job. He is able to be the choreographer for this out-of-town tryout. So, again, I don't know why they're they're hiding this from us. We'll keep that kernel to ourselves. You have to watch the show. Well, it's been some time, so if you could just tell me, that'd be great. Willie has run off to the playground to be alone, and Emma comes looking for him. Touched by his dilemma, she reaches out to him as a friend. Jenny comes to Dipsy's loft, confused and upset, not knowing what to do about Willie. Dipsy tells her to let Willie try out for a small part in his new show. Jenny, knowing what the consequences might be, refuses. Uses. Echoing Emma's earlier sentiments, Dipsy accuses Jenny of caring only about keeping her husband happy. On her way home, alone on a deserted Manhattan street, Jenny wonders what to do about her life with William. She goes to Willie's bedroom, takes a deep breath, and tells him about tomorrow's audition for Dipsy's show. Willie is beside himself with happiness. Jenny tucks him in and stays with her son until he falls asleep. Willie dreams a wonderful dream starring his grandfather. Daddy Bates floats into his room and dances for the boy. The following day, Willie auditions for the show. The joy of finally being on a stage propels Willie into a technicolor fantasy in which he is surrounded by his idols. All the great dancers, Fred Astaire, Bojangles, Gene Kelly, the Nicholas Brothers, Dipsy, and Daddy Bates, all of them dancing with him. Willie gets the part and Jenny takes him and Emma to Dipsy's loft where they wait for William. William arrives and when Jenny tells him the news, he is outraged. Emma is the first to stand up to her father. Her speech, coupling the courtroom savvy of a seasoned professional with the vulnerability of a hurt child is a powerful indictment against William for, quote, alienation of affection and loss of aid to dependent children, quote. Jenny then tells William that things can't go on the way they are, quote, you can't make all the decisions all of the time, quote, William explodes and, in a frightening display, pours out his deep-rooted anger and anguish. William, alone now in front of Dipsy's building, waits, not knowing what will happen. Emma comes out, and she and her father finally reach an understanding. Then Willie appears. He tells his father he's not taking the part in Dipsy's show, gently adding, quote, But someday, quote, then Jenny comes out, followed by Dipsy. The air is cleared, compromises are made, and although some of their dreams may be slightly shattered, another day dawns and the family is intact. They are, after all, a first-class act. The end. Now, let's see here. For the purposes of this week's episode, I sat down with a copy of the book by Charles Blackwell. I have a couple of dialogue snippets, a couple of dialogue hunk chunks for you. The dialogue is not great, and these samples demonstrate that quality, that not great quality. So, this first exchange is between... <laughs> Emma and her little brother, Willie. We start with Emma. Emma, I'm gonna be a lawyer, a great one. Ooh, if I don't get an A-plus on my law report today, I'm... I'm gonna eat this cookie. And this causes William to laugh. And she says to her brother, What's so funny? To which Willie responds, You're gonna eat it anyway. And Emma says, Watch it, Willie. <laughs> I just find that very funny. Ooh, I'm gonna, ooh, I'm gonna, ooh, I'm gonna eat this cookie, is what I'm gonna do, all right? A million choices, and we went with that, okay? And then this next exchange, it's a bit longer. This is between Emma and Dulcie. This is a character that is not mentioned in the plot summary. Dulcie is a West Indian maid. You know, all the other characters have little descriptors, physical descriptors. She's a West Indian maid. That is the kit in caboodle. That is the... That is the end-all, be-all summary in regards to her character on the page. So thank you, Charles Blackwell, for indicating that she is a West Indian maid. And why bother, I guess? Why bother going into further detail? So we begin with Emma. Emma is sitting in the kitchen with Dulcie, the West Indian maid. And Emma says, what happened to the Malomars? She's not looking through the fridge, I should say. She's sitting on a stool. She's just sitting there. She's not looking around. She's not... She's not pawing through the pantry. So did this question just strike her? I, I don't know. So we have, what happened to the Malamars? Dulcie says, you demolished them yesterday. Oh, child, look what you wear to school. You got a closet full of pretty dresses. Uh, 
<laughs> I mean, this is the dialogue, people. Emma says, I'm not going to act like that stupid Marlene Simpson. Eyeshadow and pantyhose and high heels. I don't know, Billy. Gee, Billy, what do you think? Dulcie, high heels show off a lady's leg. Emma, I don't want to show off anything. In court, I'll wear business suits. Dulcie, how your husband gonna know you're a woman? Emma, I don't want a husband. Dulcie, be glad your mama had one. Emma, I'm hungry. Dulcie, I'll make you a sandwich to hold you till your after-school snack. Cue music! <laughs> we go directly into a song sung by Emma, which we will talk about here in a hot second. But I love how that's the book scene set up for a song. <laughs> Oh, how are you, how are you going to get yourself a husband? I don't want a husband. I'll wear business suits. I'm hungry. Okay, I'll make you a sandwich. Da-da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> That's not a setup. I'm sorry. Oh, goodness. Dulcie is such an inconsequential part. It is offensive. She appears on stage. I noted this. She appears on stage twice in the first act. And once at the top of Act 2 to pour coffee for the adults in the family before vanishing from the show entirely. Why anyone thought the tap dance kid needed a West Indian maid is beyond my understanding, but there you go. I, of course, listened to the 1983 original Broadway cast album of the tap dance kid, and I watched the 1984 Tony Awards performance of Fabulous Feet, which you would have heard at the top of the episode. Yes, if you have any appreciation for dance, you will track this clip down and Immediately, you should, you will, you would. The choreography by Danny Daniels is nothing short of arresting, and watching Hinton Battle dance alongside Alfonso Ribeiro and Alan Weeks is an inspiration. I had no clue Ribeiro was a dancer, and the level of talent he demonstrates here as a kid blew me away. If only every Broadway tap sequence could be this unique and electric. One of the guys in this ensemble is rocking a pair of gray gym shorts that, for all intents and purposes, do not exist, and the bulge on display is scandalous. I was scandalized. What a bulge. My goodness gracious. A lot of the YouTube comments for this performance go out of their way to criticize William Ivy Long's costumes as trashy and outdated, which is exhausting, setting aside the plot context that would go a long way toward justifying the costumes. I would simply ask that people learn to enjoy a bit of cheap flash every now now and again, your numbskull dunks on 1980s fashion wear will not earn you any points, you heterosexual simpletons. Leotards and leg warmers are fun. Let me watch men leap about in gym shorts and baseball tees. How the fuck did you dress this morning, Coco Chanel?
to begin our deconstruction of the score by quoting lyrics from the show's opening number, Another Day. Quote, Another day, another sky is turning blue. I feel that way a little too. I need some coffee to get through another day. Another start, a new beginning. One more bout, another inning. That no one winds up winning anyway. Another day, another morning rushing past. The kids are growing up so fast. I'd like to make this morning last another year. Quote. So let me get this straight. Jenny needs coffee to get through the day. She's feeling a little blue. It's another bout, another inning that nobody's winning anyway. It's all pointless. But she also wants the morning to last an entire year because, oh, the kids are growing up so fast. Yeah, got it. Not at all inconsistent. Another day was replaced by Dipsy's coming over for the sake of the international tour, as noted by the script I obtained. This new number is a solo for Willie that quickly establishes his love of dance and the world of showbiz his uncle represents. I'm glad someone recognized a musical called The Tap Dance Kid should probably begin with a song delivered by The Tap Dance Kid. Sadly, I cannot find any audio of Dipsy's Coming Over or the other numbers that were added for the tour, those being High Heels, Something Better, Something More, and Dipsy's Vaudeville, Alas and Alack. The problem with Dipsy's Coming Over is that it's fairly static on the page. William repeatedly expresses the excitement he feels knowing his uncle is on the way, but he never actually dances according to the stage directions, which is nuts. We need to see Willie in his element A.S. AP. So here's my pitch for an opening number. Blackwell's script references how William is always trying to entertain his friends via dance. So why can't we see that? He can present a one-man show on the playground to the delight of his pals and the horror of his big sister. Maybe he can learn about Dipsy's visit during the number, which would propel him toward a big finish. Just one wannabe show doctor talking out loud. Don't mind me. strikes against me why don't they leave me alone the abuse that I take the remarks people make like what a big girl Why are we 
listening to an I Want song from Emma when the show is called The Tap Dance Kid? Why have I yet to hear anything from Willie on this album? Martine Allard is giving this everything she has, but Four Strikes Against Me is a misplaced 11 o'clock number that belongs in Act 2. The lyrics would need to be revised to make the song more about Emma standing up to her father in the name of her brother, which doesn't seem like much of a challenge from my perspective, but what do I know? As it stands, the number feels like reheated leftovers from Henry Krieger's own Dream Girls Score, a sort of kids' bop take on And I Am Telling You I'm Not Going. The lyrics by Robert Lorick make a case for why he would never write for Broadway again. Quote, This corpus delecti is gonna shine is a notably weird clunker. I, I don't need to hear the phrase corpus delecti. No thank you. No thank you. Aye. Dancing is everything. Having nothing in my way. Learning to do a real hard step that I couldn't do yesterday. Dancing is breathing. Just sort of floating around Clapping my hands, snapping my fingers Leaving the ground, not making a sound Just floating around Dancing is feeling good all over Like when someone takes your hand Like when someone stops to listen And let you know they understand Dancing is easy Dancing is I don't know If I could just explain The way it feels When I shuffle off When I click my heels Then maybe everyone would see That dancing is beautiful is everything needs to be the show's opening number. Full stop. Hello, it's right there. No one should have had to wait this long to hear the tap dance kid sing about why he loves to dance. I don't mean to throw around my weight as a wannabe writer, he said, sweating. I'm just saying certain truths should be evident from the start. If you put yourself in the shoes of any average theater goer, you'll know what they want to see when buying a ticket to the tap dance kid. They want to see that goddamn tap dance kid tap dancing. All right, I can't be yelling like this. It's bad for my heart. Could someone please fetch me a cold compress? When he talks like that, he's like a ten-year-old. But I'm not complaining. Somehow he keeps warm when he's left out in the cold. Keeps dry. When it's raining, he's got a way of bouncing back, even when things look grim. I'm talking out of turn, I guess I'll never learn, but I could get used to him. Oh, I could get used to him. Once I got used to him Would I ever let him go? 
I could get used to him, more like I could get accustomed to his face, am I right? Up top, down low, yeah, that's right, real talk, if your boyfriend leaves you waiting around for hours and is incapable of offering the simplest of romantic tokens, I would say it's time to move on, but that's just me. Sure, I exist at the edges of his periphery, and he has no ability to communicate even a marginal amount of feeling, but I have to say there's something about him. Aim higher, sister. I'm generally mystified as to why Carol, Dipsy's assistant slash girlfriend, has a three-minute ballad when she has zero impact on the plot and her romance with Dipsy involves little in the way of drama. The arc of their relationship is, in actuality, a flat line that ends with an utterly perfunctory proposal of marriage. The proposal is so weightless, the characters themselves put it on the back burner. Quote, We'll talk later, quote. You'll talk later. Spoiler, they do not talk later. In fact, Carol never appears on stage after the we'll talk later exchange. If you can find a more hollow and listless performance of heterosexuality in the canon of musical theater, I would love to see it. At this rate, we might as well give Dulcie the West Indian Maid her own song. You don't mean that, you know it isn't true You didn't let me finish, but then you never do I don't like him when he hits the ceiling At every small mistake And the trace of a smile every once in a while It wouldn't be hard to take I know that I'm not pretty And at times I get too loud But I've tried and it's a pity Him is the sort of argumentative claptrap I've been railing against since we started this podcast <laughs> over two years ago. I almost never want to hear people sing their way through a fight, especially when the fight includes such trite zingers as, quote, Now he doesn't do that. Yes, he does do that. Quote. I mean, for crying out loud, we could be here all day, agree to disagree, and move on. There is no way Lorik meant for his lyrics to scan like this, but when Emma sings, Oh sure, I'm pretty, pretty awful, pretty ugly, pretty fat, and follows that up with the phrase, Like him? which she sings in unison with her mother, it reads as a cap on Emma's statement, not the beginning of a new thought, as Lorik would have intended. Surely these women aren't agreeing Emma is awful, ugly, and fat, just like her father, right? But if your average theater-goer is anything like me, that is exactly the conclusion they will draw, and the resulting effect will be both jarring and hilarious. Can we please stop obsessing over Emma's weight? Oh my gosh, I've been wanting to talk about this. I find it to be positively crazy-making. Why are we so fixated on this, and what does it have to do with anything? Well, Emma is trying to gain love and acceptance from her parents, 
Much like Willie, their stories run in parallel to each other. Yes, fine, but this is the tap dance kid, not the kid who wants to be a lawyer and maybe lose ten pounds. I realize the tap dance kid is a more marketable title, but if this musical was meant to be a proper ensemble piece, it should have taken its name from the novel. Nobody's family is going to change. Yeah, the musical is called Annie, but Annie doesn't sing until halfway through Act 1, and we wrote a song for Mr. Bundles and a love duet for Drake and Mrs. Pugh, because at the end of the day, this is really more of an ensemble piece, said no one. It's only Buffalo, it's just a tryout show, but then you never know, do ya? You're up against the wall Things don't look good at all Then someone makes a call And all those years of eating in diners All those years we slept on the bus All those years of out-of-tune pianos All those years of don't call us All those years of running in circles years of coming and last all those years all those years are a thing of the past my luck is changing all the shadows in my life are disappearing my luck is changing the sun is coming out the clouds are clearing Maybe I'll make a fool of myself Or maybe I am the best Maybe I'll find out I'm not good enough But I'm ready to take the test My luck is changing And you'll never hear me ask Where did the ring go? I'm rearranging All the colors of my life into a rainbow I am a dancer, it's all that I know, so I'll do what a dancer does. They may say that I failed, but they must say I tried, and they can't say I never was. My luck is changing, all the shadows in my life are disappearing. Hinton Battle is doing the best he can with this material, and while I won't say he is elevating My Luck is Changing to astounding heights, he is getting it off the ground, which is no small feat. There's a lot of we talk in this number. Lines about all those years we stood in line, all those years we slept on the bus. But from what I can tell, Dipsy and Carol have spent very little time together, let alone years. They do not have a shared history, a basic truth the song tries to retcon by twisting itself into knots. Of course, now that I think about it, perhaps this is a generalized we, in the sense that Dipsy and Carol are both dancers who know what it means to struggle. I don't know, and frankly, I don't care. If we're going to be writing from the perspective of a generalized we, here's an idea. Why don't we make it a duet for Dipsy and Carol. Okay, why don't we just do that? I just find it funny how the song decides to fold Carol into Dipsy's narrative as if Robert Lorick temporarily forgot she was in the room. My luck is changing! And by my luck, I mean our luck, sweet thing. Yes, because we love each other. Yes, surely ours is a romance for the ages, my dear sweet. Uh, I want to say Mason? Oh, Mama, it was beautiful. I can feel them all around me, dancing with me. Dance, if it makes you happy.
dance, if it makes you happy, may be derivative of a chorus line and its most famous number, one. But this is a talented ensemble, and I was eager for a break from Krieger and Lorik's marathon of character solos. Alfonso Ribeiro could stand to rein it in a bit on this track. There's a fine line between endearing kiddo and the good son. And do you know what they called me, Mama? They called me the Tap Dance Kid. Stab, stab, stab. I'm not super clear on how audiences would have recognized that certain actors were portraying famous dancers in this number. It's not as if the script requires Willie to say, Hey look, there's Gene Kelly and the Nicholas Brothers. All of the stars have come down from the heavens, and I am going to identify each of them by name. Uh, this does not happen. Is Gene Kelly dancing with an umbrella? Is he in a yellow rain slicker? Is Fred Astaire dancing on the walls with a vacuum cleaner? These guys aren't exactly visual icons from a distance, is what I am trying to say. Who ever heard of a grown man named Dipsy before? Every day of your life, every moment you live, you lose. You're going nowhere, but you go too far. Telling my son he's gonna be a big star. Shining, shining, sure. Shining shoes. Now, Willie. I don't want you thinking I haven't any feelings. I don't want you thinking I haven't got my dreams. I only want what's best for you, cause we got better things to do than dancing like a monkey with a ring through its nose. Dancing every time a curtain opens, another door is gonna close behind you. And I won't have that. I just won't have that. You keep filling his head with counterfeit moonlight. You act like a child instead of a man. And maybe he'll hate me, and maybe he won't. I'm just doing the best that I can. I'm doing the best that I can. Don't you think that I've got feelings? Don't you think that I've got dreams? What is this? A room full of strangers. Doesn't anyone talk anymore? What should I do? Just, just walk away from everything I've worked and waited for. Don't you think that I've got feelings? Don't you think I've got my dreams? Who do you think provides for the lessons? Don't you buy all your clothes on the Upper East Side? Jenny, you've got a maid when you could have been one. I'm sorry, Jenny. No, I'm not. I lied. Because who changed himself to an office just trying to stay in the race? Who fills the cabinets with far too much food so Emma can stuff her fat little... Stop it! Stop what? Dancing? Dancing in a room full of strangers where nobody talks anymore. Now, I know you think I don't have feelings. I know you think I don't have. You're taking my life and you're killing it. You're taking my dream and making it die. Making it die, forsaking it, why? It's like pulling the wings of a butterfly. Dancing like they did on the plantation. You think I don't know how. <laughs> Dancing, the old moves, they ain't forgotten. It comes back like picking cotton. Who me? I don't know nothing but dancing Like a black boy on vacation You want your lesson now You wanna see dancing? Let this color boy show you how You wanna see dancing? This darky knows how You wanna see dancing? I got the rhythm too and I can dance circles around all of you. You want to see dancing? 
Williams' song, that is the official name of the number, because God forbid we settle on something more official. I don't like when songs are known as character song. I, I don't know. I never like that. It's very boring to me. William's song is eight minutes long. That's four minutes of impotent screaming plus four minutes of hastily delivered mea culpas. Add it all up and you've got yourself a first-rate train wreck of a soliloquy, one that only becomes more stupefying upon closer inspection. Does the West Indian maid character of Dulcie only exist so William can sing, quote, Jenny, you've got a maid when you could have been one, quote, and what's wrong with being a maid? Fuck off, William. As if this weren't enough of a reason for Jenny to leave her husband, he goes on to apologize, retract the apology immediately, and sing, quote, Who chains himself to an office just trying to stay in the race? Who fills the cabinets with far too much food so Emma can stuff her fat little... And then he gets cut off. That's the end of the road as far as I'm concerned. Anyone who goes after a 14-year-old girl like that does not deserve salvation. What is William talking about when referencing his dream? Quote, you're taking my life and you're killing it. Taking my dream and making it die. Making it die. Forsaking it. Why? It's like pulling the wings off a butterfly. Quote, what dream is he talking about? All we know is William does not want Willie to dance. Is that the dream? To ensure Willie doesn't dance? You had eight minutes to do the work of crystallizing this man's intentions, and somehow the job was left undone. This character is unhinged, is what he is. Anyone who hears their son say, I want to tap dance, daddy, and reacts like this was always a ticking time bomb. He treats Dipsy as if, as if Dipsy, like, I don't know, tried to kill him in the war? And it's a secret? Ooh, what you don't know about your uncle is that we were in the war together and he tried to kill me. That would, that would produce some anger, I would think. Now, you might say William's dream is to see his son become a lawyer, but I went back to review the script, and William never actually says that. Emma says that, Willie says that, but their father never says that. So, for all we know, the kids are wrong. Maybe make time for William to articulate his dream on his terms if you're going to make this big a deal about the dream. Oh my god, oh my god. One last observation before we move on. This show has not earned the use of the N-word. Nope. I do not know what musical we think we are writing, but this last-minute swipe at shock value will be accepted by absolutely no one. We are adapting a children's novel about a black family written by a white woman. We are not adapting August Wilson's Fences. Get over yourself. I wrote a lot of scripts in college that used the word faggot as if it were a bullet and a gun, and let me tell you, no one was ever impressed. Okay, that's all I have to say regarding the score for the tap dance kid. We are now going to hear from our fine, fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. Oh my goodness. Oh, you caught me at my piano singing. That's a nice little tune. I'll have to remember that. Well, hello. Oh my gosh, a visitor here. Sit down. Have a nice cup of five, six, seven, eight coffee. Do you know who I am? I'm a, I'm a beautiful blonde white lady. I'm, I'm very famous in my own right. Hello, I'm Carol King. Very nice to meet you. No, 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 no. I should stop you right there. Don't talk. Shut up. My name is not Carol King. It's not spelled C-A-R-O-L-E. No, no, no. No, it's just C-A-R-O-L. I'm not that. 
that Carol King from Beautiful, the Carol King musical. I'm Carol King, a separate blonde white lady songwriter, but I have my own musical, that's right. I, I was featured, my music was featured in the musical Attractive, the Carol King musical, without an E. Yes, that's right, you have to remember that you cannot include the E, or I will be sued. Oh, oh, no, 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 I don't like being sued, baby darling. I'm very happy to just sit here with my cup of delicious 5678 coffee and my little piano. My piano that's infested with spiders. Eight legs each times a thousand. Eight thousand legs. That's one of the songs featured in Attractive, the Carol King musical without an E. Don't sue me. <laughs> Here's another song for you that I've been working on. This is a new one. Perhaps we could work together. Perhaps you could write lyrics for na 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 I'm thinking maybe something to do with spiders, 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 spiders. Oh, five, six, seven, eight, coffee. Hey, isn't that delicious what you've been drinking? Don't move, don't you move. No, 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 the spiders, they feast tonight. <laughs> it's true, and you will not be going anywhere. Ha <laughs> ha, zap. I just zapped you with my magic. I'm a witch. Five, six, seven, eight, coffee. You can count on it, just as you can count on the fact that my spiders are gonna crawl into your silly mouth that lay a million squishy eggs that I'm gonna eat. Ooh, it's the only thing I eat. I am Carol King from Attractive, the Carol King musical without a me. Don't sue me. Go, my spiders, my lovelies. <laughs> thoughts regarding the tap dance kid. I almost forgot what show we were talking about. That says a lot. I'm sure the dance sequences in the tap dance kid would have been fabulous to watch in person. I, I very much enjoyed watching Fabulous Feet as presented at the Tony Awards, but this script and this score are a bunch of baloney. A bunch of baloney. That's what I say. Everyone involved deserved better, okay? All right. So in 1984, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was La Cage a Faux, and the additional nominees that season were Baby Goo Goo and Sunday in the Park with George. It's true. Now, who deserved to win that year? Uh, well, I'm going to say Sunday in the Park with George. That's true. I'm not I'm not such a fan of La Cage a Faux that I believe it should keep its medallion. It's true. I just burped. Oh my goodness. Oh, here it comes again. Oh, little waves. Little faint phantom burps. Ooh, they're not real. Oh boy. But yes, to review Sunday in the Park with George should have won out over all of the other shows that were nominated that year. I do apologize, Mr. Herman. Of course I want you to rest in peace. Of course I do. But I just have to speak from my heart. Let's rank the tap dance kid against all of the other musicals we have talked about here on The Musical Man. I am going to put the tap dance kid at a very low point in our list here. I'm going to put it here at number 78. That is between Sugar at number 77 and Crazy For You at number 79. I'm sorry, the tap dance kid, but that is where you are going to rest, at least for the time being. We can, of course, make changes at any time. Now, you might be wondering, how do I look at this ranking, this complete list of shows that have been ranked against each other? Well, follow us on Twitter at MusicalManPod. Go to our likes the first tweet you find there will link you to a Google Sheet. Go to the second tab on that Google Sheet. You'll find our ranking. Okay, show-related ephemera. We are going to be talking about... <laughs> An episode of an NBC After School special series, which was known as NBC Special Treat. That episode, that episode that we are going to talk about, is called The Tap Dance Kid. The original air date of this episode was October 24th, 1978, so a good five years before the premiere of the Broadway musical. One difference between the TV adaptation of the Louise Fitzhugh novel and the musical is the makeup of the Sheridan family tree. 
Dewey. In the musical, Uncle Dipsy is related to Willie's mother, Jenny. In the TV special, Dipsy is related to Willie's father, William. I only bring this up because the special goes out of its way to establish William as the older of the two brothers, despite the fact that the actor who plays Dipsy, Charles Coles, looks at least 15 years older than his co-star, Charles Blackwell. 15 long, hard years. He does not look like the younger brother by any stretch of the imagination. Dipsy has been through it. For the record, the Charles Blackwell featured in this TV special is not the same Charles Blackwell who wrote the book of this week's musical. The TV special is a crummy half hour of television. I watched the whole thing. I cannot recommend it in good conscience. But it does end with Willie presumably going on to perform in Dipsy's show, which gives it a good deal of leverage over the ending of the musical. The ending of the musical blows. If I have to hear Willie whine about his dream of becoming a dancer for two and a half hours, he had better goddamn well become a dancer before the curtain comes down. Having him set aside that dream for an ill-defined later date is annoying and unsatisfying. I've been fighting tooth and nail to make my dream a reality, and now that it's coming true, I choose to set aside that dream indefinitely. Why? Don't ask. I am ten years old and, like my father, incapable of providing an explanation. But someday, father, someday, I will become a dancer. Fine. Whatever, Willie. We should probably play a clip from the television special, right? Why not? A lot of screen time is dedicated to the idea that Emma is fat, and by association, ugly, as a result of eating too much, which is fucked up, of course, but leads to some truly laughable dialogue. During the following exchange, Emma's mother finds a heart-shaped box of candy hidden in her daughter's pants. The pants, it should be noted, are hanging in a closet when the discovery is made. Let's roll that footage. We can't find a dress that fits you. We have to go shopping in the country. You must have gained 10 pounds since last summer. We can't all be Twiggy, you know. And some of us would rather be gold in my egg, given the choice. I give up. You don't have one dress in this whole closet that fits you. Good. And there's plenty of room in here for my books. You can't take all those law books to the country, Emma. Why not? What am I supposed to do all summer? Go to parties and make small talk with adolescent sex fiends? I don't believe this. Where did you get these, Emma? I can't reveal my sources. I don't know what to do with you. You could be a very pretty girl if you took better care of yourself. You be pretty. I'm fat and I'm smart. I may not get thinner, but I'm sure gonna get smart. I should also point out how the soundtrack utilizes a tuba whenever Emma happens to be walking about on screen. Because she is fat, you see. To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, Monkey Business 3, Monks on the Moon. Everyone ready? Then away we go. Okay, all right, we have landed in the year 1971. This was a nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It ran for 505 performances. This one's a little more obscure for me, and I believe you, the listener, as well. An obscure musical, but do you know it? Oh, you might know it. You might be right on the ball. It's the Rothschilds. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Black Lives Matter organization. You can donate one, three, five, or ten dollars a month. If you donate one dollar a month, you get Monday early access to all of our main feed episodes. You get a verbal shout out each and every week. So thank you very much for donating at least one dollar a month. Vitor, that is our latest patron. Thank you so much, Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Mark. 
Mark S, Rob, Shauna, Shianti, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Mad Sack, and Marisol. The list, it grows bigger and bigger with time. <laughs> ah, but we're still in this tier. If you donate $1 a month, you also get bonus episodes regarding the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, a review of the film Cats, a review of the stage musical Emma, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, Hamilton via Disney+, Plus, Documentary Now, original cast album co-op, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, and Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. You also get Season 1, 12 episodes of Radio Boy, a special series for which I check in with myself by listening to the songs that make me feel more like myself. Non-musical theater songs, I should say. And finally, you get access to our monthly series, M3, The Movie Musical Man, for which we watch and discuss trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. Now, the last episode in this latest batch of M3 episodes is going to drop on March 31st, and that theme is going to be the Sherman Brothers trilogy. Not a hard theme to explain. All of the movies in this trilogy feature songs written by the Sherman Brothers. So we're going to be talking about Mary Poppins, The Happiest Millionaire, and Charlotte's Web. Let's move to the next tier. $3 a month. You get everything I've already described, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. It's true. You get Season 1, 10 episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast, and a special one-off episode about Julie and the Phantoms, Season 1. $5 a month. What does that get you? Well, it gets you everything I've already described, plus you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss here on the podcast. You get to choose what musical I talk about, as long as it was nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. You also get Seasons 1 and 2, 24 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by none other than The Phantom of the Opera. You get access to our Broadway and Chicago review series and Shout About It, Volumes 1 and 2. Those are collections of 5, 6, 7, 8 ads and musical shoutouts. From the first 50 episodes, oh my goodness, finally, $10 a month will net you everything I've already described, plus exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed. Season 1 of The Snub Club, that's 12 episodes of a special series for which we discuss Broadway musicals that were never nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. They were snubbed, and starting April 28th, we're going to be releasing bi-weekly episodes of our latest $10 a month series, Turn It Off. Turn It Off is all about off-Broadway musicals. Yes! Yes! If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to write a five-star review. We want 60 five-star reviews. We have 37 five-star reviews. When we get to 60, I will record and release a special review of the Zombies films, Disney's Zombies musicals, Zombies and Zombies 2. If you are streaming the show, that could be through Spotify or Stitcher or Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com. You can follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Thanks as always to Patty and Benny in the booth, not the booth. Thank you, Patty and Benny, for your immense amount of support, your hard work. Thank you to Alex Green for our beautiful logo and Zach Little for our fabulous music. <laughs> oh, you know what that sound means. You know, you know. Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off Wiedersehen, and good night. for Reggie Jackson. You can have them. You can have all of them. Are you crazy? You gotta trade. You can't give away Reggie Jackson. I don't want any baseball cards. I just like the gum. You sure are weird. I am not. You are too. You're lucky I'm even your friend. Everybody thinks you're weird. So, I don't
don't have to like baseball. I like tap dancing, and that's just as good. What are you talking about? Nobody likes tap dancing. I do. Mr. Bojangles did. I never heard of him. Everybody heard of Reggie Jackson. So? I ain't everybody. Yeah, I know. You're weird. No, I ain't. I like dancing. And if you call me weird again, I'm going to punch you in the nose. Let's go. We're going to be late for the movie. You go. I got to make a phone call. You're going to miss the whole beginning. I don't care. There's somebody I got to talk to. Who? Somebody who don't think I'm weird. You are weird, Willie Sheriff. 